from Car Rigs and Ingram, this is It Figures, the CRI podcast, an accounting, advisory, and industry-focused podcast for business and organization leaders, entrepreneurs, and anyone who is looking to go beyond the status quo. Hello and welcome to another episode of the It Figures podcast. This is a COVID-19 government questions version of the podcast. And my name is Robert Lemon. I'm an audit partner in the Gainesville office in Florida. If you've listened to podcasts on this subject with us before, you'll, you'll recognize my voice. And you'll also recognize my first guest, which is Ray Roberts. Ray, do you want to give a quick intro for people who haven't tuned in before? You bet. Thanks, Rob. My name is Ray Roberts. I'm the industry line leader, the government industry line leader for uh, Car Rigs and Ingram, and I live out in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And so out west here, we uh, uh, welcome all of you all to the podcast, and we appreciate you showing up. Thank you, Ray. Ray's always a wealth of knowledge and wealth of good information. He's going to knock out the park a lot of these governmental questions on COVID-19. And my other host, uh, my other guest, is also going to do the same. Jason Harp is with us today. It's his second podcast, so he's an old professional at, at it by now. Jason, you want to do a quick intro for anyone who's not uh, not listened before? Uh, thank you, Rob. I'm an audit partner in our Birmingham, Alabama office, and I do a good bit of work auditing governments, um, uh, cities, and school boards. So certainly live in this area a lot and there's been a lot to digest related to the CARES Act uh, certainly over the past month and, and stuff continues to roll out. So thank you for having me today. Thank you, Jason. Jason's being modest. He, he's one of the smartest guys I, I know, one of the, one of the best guys I, I work with and, and call often when I've got questions. And I'm really glad he's here today because we're going to be talking about CARES Act funding. He is one of the guys who's been researching this better than anyone I know. So definitely know he's going to give us some good uh, good information. Like I say, we're going to be talking CARES Act uh, governmental questions because the funding for you know the big governments has started to come through and, and everyone's keeping an eye on, on what they can spend it on and things like that. And what we've found is that on the Treasury website, there is some really good guidance. So what we're going to try and do is, is kind of summarize that in, a, in, in questions today and give a little bit of information based on that treasury guidance. Now, I, I want to give a warning off, off the beginning. There isn't a ton of information yet. You'll find that there's still not tons of clarity and, and, and specific guidance for some subjects, but on some things, we're starting to get some clarity. So that's what we'll try and provide today is, is clarity as much as we can. Um, so I'm going to dive in with the first question here. Um, th this one just asks, the, the guidance says that funding can be used to meet payroll expenses for public health and safety employees who are substantially dedicated to responding to the COVID-19 emergency. So what qualifies as substantially dedicated? Anyone want to take a shot, shot of this and jump on that grenade? Uh, yeah, I will. Rob, this is Jason. I, I think, you know, this question's come up a good bit because there again, guidance is, is a little lacking uh, but but I do think keying in on the term substantially dedicated, um, I, I know, you know, in the Q&A, um, you know, their main thing is to provide ready funding, you know, just for unforeseen financial needs and risks created specifically by, you know, the COVID-19 crisis. And they specifically call out, you know, payroll costs for public health and public safety employees. Um, 
but but I think that's the key thing is that substantially dedicated uh, to mitigating or responding to COVID-19. So you have to be careful. I don't know that this necessarily is something that would supplant normal payroll costs. And in, in the, I know we've been over and probably people are familiar, especially if you listen to previous podcasts, there's you know three main items that is called out that would be qualifying expenditures. Uh, and, and one of those really relates to, uh, you know, budgeted costs prior to March the 27th of 2020. So in most cases, probably a lot of your public health and public safety employees were already budgeted for. I think you have to be able to carve out, you know, costs that they're performing that's directly related to to COVID-19 emergency issues. So I think that's the, the thing back to documentation and being able to define that and carve out the piece of that that you could use these, these revenues or, or funds for would be very important. So um, I, I think you just have to be careful and make sure you're meeting those you know, thresholds related to the definitions. But there again, they've, they've sort of pub, um, called out public health and public safety. So I think that's two areas of employees or classifications that certainly you would want to look into to, to using some of these funds uh, to, to replace those costs or expenditures that you have related to that. Yeah, and, and I really like what you mentioned there, Jason. I should have said it at the beginning, to be honest. You know, all of this CARES Act funding can be used on things that meet the following three uh, kind of hurdles. It's, it's got to be something that's deemed a necessary expenditure incurred due to the public health emergency. It's got to be something that wasn't budgeted before March 27th, 2020, like, like you said. And also it's got to have incurred between 1st of March and December the 30th of 2020. So you got to hit all those three hurdles. And what, what we're mostly talking about here is that first one that was a necessary expenditure. Um, but can't forget about those other two. So I'm glad you didn't. And you, you reminded me that, that there's all those three hurdles. So with that, I'm going to dive into a similar question that I've seen. And, and again, we're talking about that substantial, uh, substantially dedicated definition. But this one just asks a little bit differently. It says that the guidance states that the funding may be used for payroll expenses for several classes of employees whose services are substantially dedicated to mitigating or responding to COVID-19. What are some types of covered employees? So we talked about defining sub substantially uh, dedicated. Now let's kind of put it into practice and talk about specific types of covered employees. Anyone got any thoughts on those? Hey, Rob, I'll help out on that one. This one goes along with just what Jason said. You know, there's really classes in the law. There's really classes of employees included. Public safety for one that Jason meant, public health. There's also health care human services, and similar employees who services are substantially dedicated to mitigating or responding to the COVID-19 emergency crisis. So anything like that. Now, something that might be easily forgotten is, let's say you have the library, which is now closed, and you've re you, you could have laid that person off or you could have furloughed them, uh, one of those two, but you decided to repurpose them to start cleaning things up or start... Uh, doing something related to uh, eligible expenses uh, under the act, you can count their, their cost as a substantially related, uh, substantially dedicated to responding to the COVID-19. 
So also, for instance, that would be on a city or a county. You also might at the educational support, the, the benefits and costs related to educational sports staff or faculty responding, developing online learning capabilities uh, to continue the educational instruction. You know, so it, like we mentioned in a previous podcast, if it's different, uh, developing that new material would also be that. And of course, you got to follow the three criterias and make sure it wasn't budgeted originally. Uh, before March 27th, 2020. Excellent. Thank you, Ray. What about, let's talk a little bit about unemployment insurance, because there's been questions I've heard about unemployment insurance and and estates permitted to use their CARES Act funding and their CARES Act payments to support any state unemployment insurance funds? Yeah, I'll go ahead and finish up with that one. Yeah, uh, clearly they're able to do that. The intention of the federal government is not to bankrupt the states and not allow them to use this stimulus money or this uh, federal money to, as they seem fit, the, the huge increases in unemployment is a direct result of, of the crisis, the healthcare crisis. So it is uh, just fine for them to use some of this money uh, if it goes through the proper approval process to uh, supplement their unemployment form. Uh, fund and make sure it doesn't go bankrupt along the way because a lot of unemployed people out there and they they need this money so that so that's one where we actually do have a straight answer you know some good clear guidance yes that's allowed so i'm glad uh, we can we, we got some clarity on that one and i like I, ray i like the way you jumped in and took the uh took took that softball and and uh, <laughs> <laughs> took the easy one yeah thanks well, what about what about this one then he wants a shot of this one um can funding be used to assist individuals with enrolling in a government benefit program for those who've been laid off due to COVID-19 and have lost their health insurance. Have we got clear guidance on that one? Yeah, I'll take that, Rob. And the answer to that, the short answer is yes. And, and you know, this reminds me a little bit of, of I, I think, the, the cousin of, of this funding, the PPP loans, and probably people I'm sure by now have heard about that. And I think the main thing related to all this, ultimately, this is, you know, put in place to help individuals out. So, you know, in this case, you know, re- enrolling in a, a government benefit program, any expenses related to that, you know, yes. Uh, the, the reason that the government's doing this is to help people out and, and those expenses related to any kind of um, enrollment, you know, cost to get individuals, you know, in, in a benefit program or would qualify, um, you know, there again, with that caveat that they originally meet those three requirements that you threw out. And I would think in this case, those would be probably easy to, to qualify. The answer is yes, you could you could use these funds to cover, you know, those expenses. So, again, this one like before is a pretty straightforward answer on this, luckily. And, and the answer is yes. Excellent. We're on a roll here. We've actually got some good, clear guidance on a few of these specific things and uh I like the way Jason, you jumped on that softball as well, so you didn't didn't let Red Red take them all. But uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's see what else we got. Um, the, I got got another question specific to stipends to employees. So I'm getting a bit more t- tricky on you guys now. Can can recipients provide? You know, this is recipients of the grant. The, the excuse me, recipients of the CARES Act funding. Can they provide stipends to employees for eligible expenses? Uh, for example. You know, to improve their telework capabilities and rather than requiring the employees to incur the, the cost and then submit it for reimbursement. Can they, can they do a stipend directly? 
Yeah, I'll take that one, Rob. And I got to tell you, I, I really enjoy your uh, your accent and how you say telly and stuff like that. So I just go on the record. For <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, on this one, you know, as long as you meet the criteria, which is the expenditures must be paid from the fund are limited to those necessary due to the public health emergency. Uh, and, but they put the caveat in there. You know, if the government wants to and they think there's a really good reason to give a stipend, then, of course, you could if it's administratively necessary. But why would you want to? Because that's just another word you would have to define. What is administrative necessary? Uh, then you have to worry about was it spent in there like it was supposed to. Then you, later on, uh, you have to go back and say, okay, now I got to somebody question me if that was all spent properly. So although you can, if you think it's administrative necessary, I think that along with the, some of the Q&A at the Treasury, that the, the best practice there would be do it on a reimbursement basis and assure as much as possible the funds were spent like they should have been. So although you can, why would you put, uh, put yourself into that trouble of possibly having somebody question that later on? Good advice. Yep. Good advice there. What, what about this last question? Um, the, the guidance includes workforce bonuses as a specific example of something ineligible, right? So bonuses not allowed, but it provides hazard pay as eligible um, if, if otherwise deemed to be necessary, as we keep saying, it's got to meet the three criteria, but if it's necessary, hazard pay is eligible. I'm struggling and a lot of my clients are struggling. Is there a specific definition that either of you guys are aware of, of hazard pay? You know, Rob, and I'll make up for the softball question I had a minute ago, we, we probably could spend an entire podcast covering just this concept because I've had several clients implement and, and also pay uh, hazardous duty pay. Um, and the, the guidance says that, you know, you, you could use that. You could use these funds for, for hazard pay. Um, in the definition, they, they say just basically performing hazardous duty or, or work that involves a physical hardship. But now I think in that, there probably is a lot of interpretation. Um, you know, obviously, I go back to what we mentioned a minute ago about public health and public safety employees uh, you know, that type hazardous duty may be easier to define than others. I know there could be situations where, uh, for whatever reason, and you may, a uh, government may have an existing policy that covers what ha hazardous duty is. That certainly would be helpful, I think, uh, in evidence for, you know, asking, asking or requesting or, or having documentation rela related to these type expenditures. But, you know, I, I don't know how, I guess the government or the or the or, or the funding agency would view uh, maybe hazardous duty related to somebody that may not be necessarily a public safety employee. And I guess something that comes to mind may be, um, you know, if you've got a, a, a billing clerk uh, that may be interacting frequently with the public, uh, I don't know how they would necessarily view that related to hazardous duty. If a government said, you know, you're having to interact with the public frequently, so that obviously in this case would increase your potential exposure to a virus. Uh, and if that employee got, you know, some type of hazardous duty uh, compensation, you know, I, I don't, I mean, some of that, it may be a little hard. I think there could be some validity certainly to that in this situation versus maybe, you know, other more, I guess, 
custom customary hazardous duty. But but anyway, there is a there is a clause that allows for that. So unlike a you know a clear bonus, you know that it doesn't allow for it does mention hazard pay. So it's certainly something to explore, and uh, certainly something to I think get more advice on and discuss have deeper discussions. But uh, but it is there, so uh, they're not you know totally counting that out. So th- those are kind of my thoughts with it. Hey, I, I respect you taking that one because that was uh, the the least softball of the of the lot of them. Um, but yeah, I, I really like your summary there because there are some things like like like, like you say, hazardous pay clearly allowed. They, they, they claim they've kind of defined what it constitutes, but but it's such a vague definition, it, it leaves interpretation. And the, some of the instances, like you say, the people on the front lines, health workers out there, it's easy to get over that hurdle. But, but like you were saying, there's other people who might feel like their role has now become hazardous. But let's be honest, I don't think hazard pay was ever defined with this scenario in mind. Not a lot of, a lot of people, I think, had planned and, and defined things, expecting this kind of a scenario to play out. So uh, probably, you know, those roles don't meet typical hazard pay scenarios um, or, or classic definitions because it's not a classic situation. But I think your advice is good, which is, you know, if you're going to be in that uncertain category, you, you're, you're leaving yourself open to questions. So if you can charge your expenses to the ones that clearly meet the hazard definitions like the guys on the front line then then stick with those and and uh you know charge those expenditures first i guess is what i'm saying before trying to get into the ones that are maybe in the gray area my my advice is always to stay away from the gray area if if possible so yeah tough question to finish with there jason so i, I really appreciate you taking a shot of that one ray was unusually silent there ray what what, what happened <laughs> It's too tough for the old guy. So, <laughs> not at all. Hey, well, hey, Rod, yeah. And, you know, related to that, and throw this kind of in too while we're talking about it, I think there's been some discussion on just back to that. Um, I mean, what would, you know, be eligible for hazardous duty? And I think, you know, several other governments have come back to the concept of, you know, exposure and the amount of duration. So, that could be a rule of thumb is that if you're really exposed to anything for a long, long time, you know, or you're exposed to something particularly hazardous for a short amount of time, that could be, you know, a baseline for trying to determine something, you know, an event that could be considered hazardous duty. That's good advice. Yeah. And if that can be tracked and, and proven defends your position uh, of, of charging these expenditures as hazardous, then, and I think that's uh, it moves you a little bit more away from that gray area that I was talking about and closer to that defense defendable sort of position. So I like that. I like that a lot. Hey, Rob, there's a there's a good article that Jason wrote on our website about hazard pay and how certain cities have worked through that whole process. So uh, if you anybody have any questions on hazard pay, that that'd be a good place to start uh, on that article on our website, CRICPA.com. Excellent. Well, hey, I think that's uh, probably a good place to wrap it up here, guys, because that was a tough question. And and that's uh, that's been some really good answers. I think Ray's correct to, to re- refer everyone to the CRICPA.com website. There's a bunch of additional resources on there and articles and, and extra information. We're going to be updating that constantly as, as we keep on top of the latest information and guidance as it comes out. So with that, I'll thank Ray and Jason for for joining me and, and I'll thank you all for listening. 
and we'll see you again next time. Thanks. Goodbye. If you want more CRI insights or are interested in learning about our firm, please visit our website at CRICPA.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of It Figures, the CRI podcast. You can subscribe to It Figures on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to your podcasts. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review.